All right, church, well, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, let's go ahead and pray before we um, look at this amazing psalm. Would you just pray with me real quick? Father God, just as Pastor Dave said there, Lord, it's our prayer, is that as we consider your word right now, um, that we would do so with a certain expectation. Lord, an expectation that you would speak to us right now. Lord, we ask that you speak to us through Psalm 100. Use this word, this psalm this morning to shape our hearts and our lives for you. Lord, for some of us, we ask that you would use this word this morning as it goes out to call us to you. Lord, we believe this word to be completely true and eternal. And we ask that you would take these truths, Lord, and that you would write them on our very hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, this week, my wife and I were, um, it was late, later in the evening, and we were running out doing a few errands. And it's interesting how now with kids, we have four kids at home currently, how um, we've kind of forgotten how just used to being at home our children are. I don't know if you have kids at home, but it's, it's pretty amazing to think of how, how little they have done outside the home. And as we were doing errands, we stopped at one place. I ran in and my wife and our three-year-old stayed in the car and um, I ran in, took care of what needed to be taken care of and then came back and we went on to the next thing. After about the second errand, um, my three-year-old daughter began to reflect on the coronavirus, which... It's just amazing to hear her say that. And she's got so many questions this, about this coronavirus. And, and as we were driving on to the next errand, she just began to sort of lament because she was recognizing normally, kind of pre-COVID-19, we would stop the car, we would all get out as a family, and we would go into the store and get whatever it is that we needed to get. And she was lamenting the fact that she was not able to do that. And so she kind of started off and just started thinking of all the different things that she misses. And it was, it was kind of heartbreaking. I mean, just sitting there listening to simple things like, I miss going into the gas station, Daddy. And just one thing after another, she said that she missed. And the last thing, this, this kind of made a pastor dad's heart happy. The last thing she said was, and I miss church, Dad. I miss going to church. Now, I hope you feel the same way. My fear, honestly, is that some of us find ourselves, even this morning, maybe drinking coffee, eating bacon, in our pajamas, we haven't brushed our hair or our teeth, and we're looking around thinking to ourselves, hey, I could get used to this. That's my fear. My hope and my prayer is that while we make the best use of technology to stay connected, we also recognize this just isn't the same. It's just not the same thing. I miss seeing you. I miss hearing your voices sing together week after week. I miss worshiping with you. I miss that so much. I hope you miss it too. That recognition that, that we miss what Sunday mornings normally look like should lead us naturally to a place of lamenting, 
of, of grieving that which we have lost for some two months now. But they should also, it should also produce in each and every one of us a longing, a desire to be back together again. As we consider Psalm 100, Psalm 100 tells us, speaks to us about worship. Psalm 100 is about worship. And it's a fitting time that we find ourselves in that we consider worship. It's, though its primary concern is not that of an event or a gathering that we would have every, every week, but it's actually something much deeper. Psalm 100 is primarily concerned with the heart attitude, the spirit of our worship. Psalm 100 tells us this morning that God cares how we worship. Some may think it only matters that we worship. But, but how that we worship, how we worship, is, it's just really a matter of preference. That's how some of us may think and view our worship. But God cares how we worship. We know this because he tells us in his word over and over and over again that he cares how we worship. So Psalm 100 comes at us this morning. It simply says this, brothers and sisters. It says, you should gladly give thanks to the Lord and you have good, good reason to do so. If you look at the psalm, it, it breaks down in a very simple structure. It's five verses. It's a short psalm. And, and the structure of the psalm really tells us two critical things we need to know about worship. Verses one through two, if you look at it just quickly, and hopefully you have your Bibles open at home. Verses one through two tell us specifically how we, to, we are to worship. God directs us on how to worship. Then verses, verse three, God tells us, why we should worship. He gives us reason to worship this way. Verse four, you'll notice, goes back to telling us how we are to worship. And then five, verse five tells us once again why we worship. So this morning, the structure of our psalm is gonna be the structure of my message. We'll have two simple points. The first one is this. We're gonna consider together how we are to worship. In total, as we look at Psalm 100, there are six imperatives, six commands in this short psalm. And these six imperatives tell us, tell us kind of all, they show us all the same thing, that God is concerned with how we worship. Right at the jump, you'll see it starts off in verse one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Right at the beginning, we are exhorted to make a joyful noise to the Lord. You know, we've had so much time at home recently that we've discovered that in our family we have maybe different interpretations of what a joyful noise are, okay? There's a lot of noises. I would not classify many of those in my home as being joyful currently. This phrase, however, is not open for interpretation. It actually is pretty specific, it's not simply a random shouting of anything. It, it's a noise that was made by a people when a king was crowned. Out of joy and gladness, the, the people would proclaim, long live the king. 
We see this in the Old Testament when Saul in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 24 was crowned king. The people who had been clamoring, wanting a king, cry out together, long live the king. They make a joyful noise. It's, it's a shout of acclamation proclaiming that, that he was their king and they were his subjects. Notice the tone and the tenor of the noise. It is a joyful noise. While we are exhorted, commanded to this type of response, it's, it's not seen merely as an obligation. As if someone is, is pinning us down, demanding that we make a noise. It, it is a noise that starts from deep from within us and can't wait to get out of us. It's a noise that we enjoy making because it's a king that we enjoy. Make a joyful noise. In this invitation, you'll notice this, this command is for all peoples of the earth. All the earth is commanded to make a joyful noise. To come and delight in the Lord. And to declare him king and, and worship him. Make a joyful noise. The next imperative that we see there, the next thing that we learn about how we should worship, it's the phrase, serve the Lord with gladness. And we see these, verses 1 and 2, remember how we are to worship. Serve the Lord with gladness. Some translations, the Bible say, worship the Lord with gladness. The word can be translated both worship or serve. And this is important as it highlights the, the, the significance, the, the meaningfulness of our worship. Have you ever thought about, think about this recently, why do we call what we do on Sunday mornings as a church a worship service? I've always thought it kind of odd, a worship service. Have you ever thought about why we use the word service? If, if we're not careful, we can, we can see what we're doing right now as a virtual worship service. This, this word can, can kind of trip us up thinking, making us think that worship is primarily about us. For example, imagine, just imagine maybe a, a year ago, you go to a nice restaurant. You have expectations. You're paying good money. You have expectations for a specific sort of level of service that you will receive. You expect to be greeted and, and treated in a particular way. Your food to be prepared and presented and, and served to you in a particular way because you, after all, are paying for the service. You, you expect a certain level of of service. Some of us are tempted to take the same approach to what we do on Sunday mornings as we gather and worship. But if we do so, we would be greatly mistaken. Worship service, to be clear, is what we do on Sunday mornings. It is a worship service. However, the one who's being served is God. Is God. You, to be sure, will be blessed too. If we are gathering, of course, we would want to extend love and, and kindness and, and hospitality to one another. Our worship service serves us most as it helps orient our life and our existence to the sovereign and supreme king who is the focus of our gathering. And we should do this, we're told, with gladness. 
with gladness. Not reluctantly or out of some sense of compulsion, but gladly. Giving him the praise he deserves, serving him with gladness. Next, as we consider how we are to worship, we make a joyful noise. We serve him with gladness. Next, we see that we are to come into his presence with singing. Like I said before, this is one of the things maybe I miss the most about being together with you all on Sunday mornings. The many voices coming into the presence of God as one voice. It's a beautiful, beautiful noise. You know, many of us are familiar maybe with the, with the Reformation. And the Reformation helped recover biblical theology, but it, but it also changed the way we sing. Martin Luther, in fact, reestablished congregational singing at the center of church life. Before that, it had been completely banned. Reforming ministers in the 1560s saw it as one of the marks that the, the Reformation had taken root in the hearts of the people of God was that they loved to sing. They would gather by thousands and sing. They viewed this as an indication that the Reformation had sunk into the people's hearts, that they had been overwhelmed and consumed with the glory and the goodness of God Almighty. And they couldn't hold back that their voices had to cry out because of how awesome he is. We are to come into his presence with singing. Next, we see this in verse 4, that we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We are to give thanks to him. We are to bless his name. So the fourth thing that we'll talk about that shapes how we worship is this idea of thanksgiving. This is the emphasis in verse 4. We see the exhortation to give thanks. It's repeated twice, the first and the second line. The aim of, of both praise and thanksgiving is to exalt and to glorify God. Thanksgiving itself comes when we consider the things that God has done for us. The idea here is that as the people would draw near to the temple courts, they would consider all that God has done for them. The, the focus would transcend their present frustrations to God's faithfulness and his goodness. And the result would be they'd give thanks. They would give thanks. Folks, these these commandments, these imperatives shape our understanding of how our worship is supposed to look. We are to make a joyful noise. We are to serve him with, with gladness. We are to come into his presence with singing. And we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. But there's a problem, isn't there? See, the truth is, and many of us know this, maybe know it now more than ever. The truth is, life is hard. It doesn't always leave a joyful tune in our mouth. Life is hard, and we are fragile creatures. The pain and the disappointment that we experience throughout life accumulate and tempt us toward either cynicism or sentimentality. What do I do? Many of you may be asking this question right now. When this spirit of worship that God wants us to bring as we worship him is not how we feel. Is Psalm 100, you might be asking this, 
is Psalm 100 just asking me to pull it together for a couple of hours, right? Slap on a smile and pretend like everything is all right. Is that what Psalm 100 is about? My guess is many of us have not just been tempted to do that, but as we have entered indoors on a Sunday morning, have actually done that. Is Psalm 100 asking you just to fake it until you make it? Well, let me submit to you that that is not at all what Psalm 100 is suggesting. I mean, if this was simply an obligation, then by all means, have at it. But God, in his grace, tells us that we have good reason. We have plenty of good reasons to give thanks and praise to him, even in our most difficult moments. Verses 3 and 5 get at the heart of this. Let me read those verses again. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Folks, the second half of this psalm, the second part of this psalm was absolutely critical in cultivating a heart that worships, a spirit that, that God delights in as we worship him is the fact that he tells us why. He gives us reason why we should sing why we should praise, why we should give thanks and make a joyful noise. He tells us in his word why. And thank God he does. The reasons provided fall sort of into two categories in Psalm 100. These categories speak to who God is and what God does, how he acts. Who God is for us and how he acts towards us. Reason number one, I can't remember how many I have, I think maybe three. Reason number one, know that the Lord, he is God. Why should you right now where you're sitting make a joyful noise to the Lord? Well, because the Lord, he is God. This statement, the Lord, Yahweh, is God alone, was controversial then, and it is controversial now. In the ancient Near East, people would have believed in many gods. The sun was thought to be a god. The moon was thought to be a god. The stars were thought to be gods. The sea was thought to be a god. And wherever one would travel over the ancient Near East, there was a constant pressure to, to know how to deal differently with these different gods. This statement stands in bold opposition to that belief. Israel's God, Psalm 100 says, is the God. He's not a God. He is the God. The Lord God himself is not a tribal deity. He is the God. Therefore, to worship him properly, you must know this. Know that the Lord, he is God. Our reason for drawing near to the Lord in glad-hearted praise is not based on a fairy tale. It's rooted in factual knowledge. 
that you should be certain of, that we can be certain of. God is something that we can understand. Know this. Know this. Reason number two that we can make a joyful noise to the Lord is because it is he who made us and we are his. How about that? I mean, talk about good reason to give praise. We belong. That God who we were just speaking of, that one true God, we belong to him. He is our God. He he knows everything about us. He knows everything about you. And he still draws near to you. He still wants you and says, I want you to graze in my pastures. Folks, the the implications of this reality are absolutely unending. You know, at Faith Academy, we teach biblical truth primarily through uh, catechesis, through a catechism. And if you're not familiar with the catechism, it's simply just, it's a way of teaching the Bible by asking simple questions and teaching children or whoever to respond with with simple, recited, memorized answers. And, And the The specific catechism that we use at Faith Academy is built on sort of 52 different questions. And the first question is this. The first question is this. What is our only hope in life and death? I'll say it again. What is our only hope in life and death? And and I could bring to you right now, even though we haven't had classes for, I've lost track of time, a while. I could bring to you right now any student in our school, kindergarten through sixth grade, And they would be able to respond instantly to that question. What is our only hope in life and death? They would declare that we are not our own, but belong to God. Folks, there could be no more important message for us to teach our children and to believe ourselves. This belief is an offense to the common popular view that we belong to ourselves. The Bible says, no, 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 no. You belong to God. John Calvin saw this as the basic principle of the Christian life. If we are not our own but belong to God, let us live and die for him. Let let his wisdom rule our actions. Let every part of our life strive toward him as our only goal. If we belong to him, let us rave about him like we don't rave about anything else. Another way of saying it is we are his sheep and the sheep of his pasture. As worshipers, we draw near. Or as worshipers, when this would have been written, they would have drawn near to Mount Zion and and come streaming through the temple doors they, they were like flock of a, a, sh- a sheep of a flock that were following their shepherd's voice. And like a good shepherd, God seeks out his flock. He rescues them. He feeds them. He tends them day by day, making them lie down in green pastures and, and guiding them beside still and quiet waters. So just pause for a second. Let me ask you, do you belong to God? Do you belong to God? Do you know you belong to God? God offers us this morning his assurance 
what comfort and, and, and purpose this, this truth offers us, providing and bringing to us meaning. You can belong to God. Jesus offers you his hand this morning and invites you into his rest. Do you know if you belong to God? Reason number three. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Another amazing reason why we should praise God and do so with glad-hearted thanksgiving. Your current pain and misery are no match for the love of God. The Lord is good. And his love and faithfulness will outpace your pain, whatever it may be, for generations to come. This reality by no means minimizes your hardship or ignores your obvious suffering. But it recognizes that even in your most difficult times, your head can still be lifted. Your heart encouraged, your faith strengthened, and your hope restored by the deeper reality of God's loving kindness. God's goodness, which promises to transcend your present moment, your most difficult day. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans 8 when he asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We could easily add or sickness or financial uncertainty or pandemic or broken relationships. And his conclusion, it's a good one, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, this is amazing. This is amazing. This gives us reason, good reason, to look to God, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of our life, and simply say, thank you. Thank you. He is God. We belong to him. Like a sheep tends his flock, so God attends to us. And his loving kindness towards us can't be stopped. What else can you do but give praise and thanks that he deserves? Now, if you were to go back to the beginning of the psalm, verse 1, you'll notice who specifically is commanded to give praise and thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. All the peoples of the earth are commanded and invited to worship God like this. Everyone. 
Psalm 100 looks forward in anticipation to a time when all the earth would worship the Lord with glad-hearted thanksgiving. It's a similar vision to the one we see in Isaiah chapter 2 where the prophet tells us of a time when the nations shall flow to the mountain of the Lord. But this didn't quite happen in the Old Testament. In fact, relatively few Gentiles would, would join Israel in worship. Yet the Lord remained faithful to all generations by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to make it happen, to make it possible. Extending the invitation to you and to me to enter into his presence and to, and to, to feed in his fields. At Jesus' birth, wise men, we are told, come from the east to worship him. The, the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. See that in Matthew chapter 2. John the Baptist, when he first laid eyes, when he saw Jesus coming in, in John chapter 1, he declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead for all the peoples of the earth. People from every culture, from every corner of this world. And then just before he ascended to his throne in heaven, Jesus sent out his disciples, commanding them to, to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see this as the, 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 the mission that the church has as we step into God's global purposes to make worshipers of all the nations. Paul, when he's writing Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, puts it like this. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when God pulls back the curtain in Revelation chapter 7, John is given a glimpse to what heaven looks like. What does he see? He sees God's global and eternal purposes Accomplished. He sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Folks, this is what God is doing he is making worshipers, and he will have worshipers from around the world, all nations, worshiping him when it's said and done. And we get to be a part of what he is doing throughout eternity. What a great purpose, what a global purpose he has for the world. But for you this morning, let's consider what God offers you. God offers you in Jesus to be tender towards your heart, to sympathize with you. God sent his son to be tender towards you, to sympathize 
with you and to die for you. And, and if you're wondering, do I belong to God? Let me ask you this. Have, have you, do, do you know what Jesus did for you? How he took your place on the cross to pay the punishment that, that you and I deserve and then invites us, when we receive this gift of grace, invites us into a life of faithfulness and obedience and, and tender-hearted care for us. Do you belong to the Lord? Brothers and sisters, for those of us who may be struggling this morning in life, maybe in our faith, tempted toward despair, Psalm 100 is a glorious reminder, is the glorious reminder that you and I need. Your pain is real, your suffering is real, but it will never outpace God's love. In Christ, we can all say with Paul in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Your pain, your frustration, your difficulty pales in comparison to the goodness of God and what he has waiting for us in glory. So take heart, be encouraged, and give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his loving kindness, his steadfast love, endures forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning as we consider all of who you are and all that you have done for us, Lord. I thank you that we get the privilege this morning to call you our God. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people. Lord, as we struggle, I pray that you would remind us of your grace towards us and your love for us, Father, and that you would help this church come to you in worship with a spirit of praise and a spirit of thanksgiving. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.